please join me as we read Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Father, um, we do just thank you that we can come into your house today. We thank you that you invite us in, and we just pray now as we study your word that you would give grant wisdom and discernment to divide it, and that you would give us hearts to receive what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, team. So appreciate your service. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Is there an amen, amen. to that? Yeah. What a beautiful psalm, Psalm 122, and I'm sure... Um, open up your Bibles, too. It's the Psalms. We're going to have to, you know, get to Psalm 122, and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, read it together and stuff. And I'm sure, like in my heart, this psalm reminds you of baseball. Um, maybe it doesn't. I know I'm not supposed to use sports metaphors, so stick with me. I know, I know. But, you know, it's funny. I, I was kind of a, you're not going to believe this. I was a little bit of an awkward kid. I know. It's astonishing. Uh, little shy, you know, the kind of kid that like a uh, real curious mind, kind of too smart for my own good, but also kind of dumb. And, uh, and so the teacher would say, who wants to answer this? And my hand would shoot up. And then after my hand was in the air, I'd remember that I didn't want any attention from anybody and wanted to crawl into a hole. You know, that kind of thing. I, was, I never really felt comfortable any place. I liked being home. My family loved me. I was like life of the party at home, but then I'd go out into the world. And it was, you know, like, you know, right? You were a kid. You tracking with me? Okay. There's like two of you that are like, I'm always the best everywhere I go. Well, the rest of us don't have that feeling and we need to be home. And, and, um, you know, I don't, I'm sure you haven't spent the hours watching Ken Burns baseball documentary like I have, but there, there's the, the intro is just so profound. I'm like wiping tears away as they say things like, look guys, ba first base is 90 feet away. So you have to go 90 feet four times. 360 feet to come 360 degrees and you end up home. Oh, oh, that's what I need is home. Charlie McDowell in that same documentary says it like this. The idea that home plate has a little roof. It's a little roof. It's a little roof. It's a little house. It brings us back to where we're safe. And where, we're care, and where we care, and where we're cared for. Coming home on a baseball diamond is pretty darn dramatic. You feel immense relief having gotten out of all those hazards out there. Between first and third is hazardous territory. And then between third and home is joy. You're out of trouble. You're coming back. 
and you're running towards the home team dugout, you can see them and they're all grinning and they're glad to see you and their arms are out and you come across that thing, it's pretty big league stuff. A baseball field might not feel like home for you, but I hope there's some place that gave you that feeling of, man, I, I know how to act. I know that if I make a mistake, somebody will give me grace. I'll be loved here. I have a place here. And I hope that there's places in your life that you're like that. And I hope it starts in your house. For everybody, it does. For, not for everybody, is that true? There's just something joyful about going home. In fact, if home, your house, maybe the house you grew up in, wasn't a place of joy, or even now it's a place of tension, then you know maybe more than most. If your first home didn't feel safe and supportive and kind and loving, then I bet you had a desire as you grew up that, to make a home that was safe and caring and joyful. I think that we all have a desire to be in a place where we'll be okay, where we can be us, where we'll be loved, a place where we care, a place where we're cared for. And I think there's a reason for that. We were created for Eden, a place where we would be in relationship with God and relationship with each other, a place without selfishness, a place where service was just what we did and there was a feeling of being cared for by others and being cared for by God and being given good things to do, mission that made sense, didn't wear us out and make us feel like failures. Also, the new heaven and new earth is where we're going, a place a lot like Eden, a place where every tear is wiped away, a place in the presence of God. Are you homesick for it now? I'm only 50, but the older I get, the more I'm like, oh man, what are we waiting for? I know something deep in my heart knows that it was created for some place where I would be cared for and be given the grace to make mistakes and be forgiven, and be loved, and also have the opportunity to extend grace and extend forgiveness and care for other people in a meaningful way. That's where humanity started, and that's where humanity is going. Home is what we were created for. Home is where we are headed. And I know that not many of you feel that way about baseball. I know I'm a dinosaur. I realize. But I hope there is some place that you feel that kind of home, where you feel like you know what you're doing, that you're okay where you get a glimpse of what it feels like to be in a place where you belong. This psalm is all about home. This psalm is about the longing to be in a place where everything makes sense. The longing to be in a place where we are cared for and where we can care. It's the song of a pilgrim who is looking to be not only in the presence of God, surely in the presence of God, but in the presence of God's people. And we'll talk about several things as we kind of break the psalm down as we go, but, but just for a minute, could we understand how special Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock are? 
and times when we get to get invited over for a dinner of eight, or times when Wednesday nights we gather around some scriptures. And I wonder if we could spend some time thinking about what it is we are. What if Sunday mornings at 10 were not just a good sermon? Some days, some days not so much. They weren't just your favorite worship songs. They weren't just a style you like or comfortable pews that we just had cleaned. I hope they're more comfortable now. But I hope it's a little glimpse of home. You know, the presence of God is available for you anywhere you are. You can drop to your knees in your living room or at Target. They'll have questions if you're at Target. But wherever you are, you can turn your attention to the Lord. But there's still something profound about gathering with family and being okay and going, hey, I'm a mess. Will you love me? And have other people go, I'm a mess too. Will you love me? place where you're cared for. You remember that last week we started in the Psalms of Ascent, looking at it almost like an album, like there's different tracks that it goes through. 15 Psalms um, that might be sung by pilgrims on their way from wherever they were around the Mediterranean region as they traveled for the festivals there in Jerusalem. And you remember tracks one and two in the set, Psalm 120 and Psalm 121, were very much the, our pilgrim, this, this Jew out there somewhere, recognizing that nothing out there in the world was going to do it. That I'm surrounded by violent people who lie all the time. I want peace and there's war all around me. I want to be okay. I want shalom. I want things to make sense. And nothing around here makes sense anywhere. And so he's, our pilgrim launched out. Psalm 121 was this start of the journey. But there was recognition of danger. They got out on the trail and went, oh my gosh, where does my help come from? And the rest of that psalm was the recognition, my help comes from the Lord. He made the hills. The reason I'm going to get there is because God will sustain me. And as we look at the spiritual journey that we are on, as we come to the point where we go, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to all this stuff. I'm not going to put my hope in anything in this world. My hope is going to be in Christ. I'm counting on the empty tomb and I am someday headed home. But between here and there, there's going to be some danger. Who will I count on to help me? The Lord will sustain me. And then Psalm 122 happens. And it's like on this journey, the pilgrim is just thinking about time with God's people. That is a glimpse of heaven. There's a lot about this psalm that's aspirational. There's really no evidence that Jerusalem was ever this place where everybody was welcome, everybody got along, and everybody, that's, that's really like no historical moment where you go, Wow, that's, what, that's the day he's talking about. Maybe like the day of David's coronation. That might have been a really good day. But very soon after that, we, I mean, David's grandkids broke up the whole country. Like it, it didn't stay great for long. So in some ways, this is aspirational. But you know, home doesn't have to be perfect for it to be meaningful. So even though our pilgrim out on the road 
headed to a festival. You and I as spiritual pilgrims headed towards Christian maturity, headed towards being spiritual people. We go, man, I'm not sure perfection is ever going to be attained. No, but you are going to get a glimpse. And you should get a glimpse of Eden in your marriage and in your family. That's place number one. Always striving for that. But we were made for community outside of that too. And we are intended to get a glimpse of heaven Sundays at 10, Wednesdays at 6, with a whole bunch of people who go, I need somebody to love me. And the rest of us going, we'll love you. And we'll help you as you're pilgriming towards God. The psalm starts with initial excitement. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Some people see verse 2 in our psalm today, and they think that this is a song about already arriving at Jerusalem. And that's fine. I bet they sung it there. But I don't know. I think this is the song you sing as you're dreaming about the place you miss, a place you've been before and can't wait to return. You know, soon we'll be singing Christmas songs and we won't sing the Christmas song in here because it's, you know, not about Jesus. But I bet in plenty of shopping malls and on the radio and lots of uh, moments in November and December, you will hear chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Be honest, you've never roasted a chestnut over an open fire. Have you really? It's amazing. That is amazing. I couldn't pick a chestnut out of a lineup. But I know what that song's talking about. Because I have been in a living room on Christmas morning with family. I've been at my grandma's house with my cousin throwing a football around until we're starving, then eating until we couldn't move. <laughs> I've been in the presence of a place where I was loved. And this is the heart of the pilgrim as he sets out singing about being in that place, being home. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You know, I bet he was glad when they said that. He's far away from Jerusalem, living among violent people. He's on the grind. He's living the dream. Maybe even a little numb. You know how you can get a little numb? The idea came to him, and it sounds like it came to him in a conversation, maybe with family, maybe with other Jews of the diaspora, like Jews that, that all were like, you know what we need to do? We need to go to the festival in Jerusalem. It's almost, fe it's almost feast time. Let's, we haven't done it in a while. Let's go to Jerusalem. And he says, man, when I heard that, I was glad. It filled me with joy. What a great idea. That's exactly what I need. Time in God's presence and with God's people. Man, where would we find that now? Where would we go while we're waiting for heaven? Do we just ask Jesus into our heart as a child and then like, grind through 80 or 100 years and then go, finally, it's over? No, rather, this is what Christian community is about. And I pray that Lighthouse would be the kind of place, but 
that the church in general would be the kind of place where we could be having a hard week and go, man, I just want to go be with God's people. I know if I go to Lighthouse, I could confess sin and be okay, be told I'm, I'm still loved. I know I could go, I know 10 o'clock on Sunday morning at 10.30 Hilby, I, could, I don't have to be perfect. Rather, I need time in the presence of the Lord with God's people. And I hope you see the responsibility we all have to each other. Because sometimes you do go home and go, I need to go home. And you get home and it's nothing but criticism and lack of grace and whatever, and you leave feeling worse than you did. May we never be like that. That's not what this pilgrim is yearning for, and it's not what you're yearning for. You are yearning for a place that feels like home. And this side of the new heaven and new earth, this is the glimpse we are supposed to get. Certainly, we're waiting for that ultimate peace and joy in the new heaven and new earth, but we are also given the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the family of God. And I guess, you know, just all I'm trying to say this morning is if we viewed this place not as a place of learning, although I hope that you learn things while you're here, not just a place of serving, but seriously, are you in the family? Serve. But that we would view this as a glimpse of home. And it does make us think, what would our responsibilities be to each other if that was our perspective? As we gathered, as we sat in pews, what would the three-minute party look like? What would time after look like? What would time before look like? I mean, what if the people sitting around you are not just shiny church people, but rather they have been slugging it out all week and are exhausted? What if the people sitting around you need a place where they will feel loved and cared for? They need a place where people will be happy to see them. Like should a baseball diamond or the corner bar, should that be the place in our culture where people will most feel loved and in the presence of God? Or shouldn't it be here? What if the people around you have failed a little and need grace? What if they've made a mistake or two and they need forgiveness? What if life has been disappointing and they need a place where they can feel okay? They need a place where they feel like they belong. Maybe this has a little to do with like style of music and a good sermon or whatever, but I bet it has a lot more to do with the people that receive them when they walk in the room. Look what our pilgrim loves about Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem is so special and the news is so brutal right now coming out of Israel and, and the, whole, you know, the whole region that, um, that it is easy to forget there was nothing magical about the ground in Jerusalem. It was always the presence of God and the law of God that made Jerusalem special. And look, so he's not just like, wow, I really like climbing hills exactly the size of Mount Zion. That, that's not what this person is hoping for. But look what he's looking forward to. Verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city 
that is bound firmly together. It's interesting that this phrase, this phrase bound firmly together is used elsewhere in scripture and it usually refers to a physical reality. Something like Jerusalem has a ton of people in it. Like bound tightly together is how you would express the reality of the 405 and uh, five just as they're coming through El Toro on a, on a weekday uh, afternoon. I thought I, I, I should use a... Um, uh, a reference to freeways around here, but there is nothing as tightly bound together as the El Toro Y, the 405 and the 5, at the end of a workday during the week. It's brutal. 16 lanes of traffic going one direction, nobody moving, right? You might as well, might as well like tailgate. There's no set up a cornhole, <laughs> throw some bean bags. There's no, nobody moving. That's the way you would use this word, bound tightly, uh, tightly together. But in context, he, well, and I'm also sure that that's the way the festival was at Jerusalem. The, Jerusalem's a, a smallish town that balloons to millions of people um, at, during festival time. So probably he's thinking, oh yeah, Jerusalem's bound tightly together. But in context, he's not talking about just the physical reality of being shoulder to shoulder. Rather, he's looking for a place where people are joined heart to heart. The unity of hearts. Our pilgrim on this road is looking for a place where people's hearts are bound together. And I guess I just have a question. Aren't you hungry for that? Just a place where there's heart to heart connection. Where you don't have to have your theology right. Where you could even... You could be wrong about a lot of things, still be loved. Again, there was nothing magical about the city of Jerusalem, but God's presence was there. And that presence could be expressed through the love of God's people. And now you and I live in a reality where that curtain that separated the Holy of, of Holies, God's presence from the rest of the world, has been torn top to bottom. The temple is now no longer in Jerusalem, but rather is sitting right here. And we should be a place so caring, so exemplifying the love of God that you could have a bad Thursday and go, man, I can't wait to get to church. I just need somebody to love me. And I know that's what I'll get if I go to church. When pilgrims got to Jerusalem, they were only going to be as loved as the people they met. And the same is true for us. We're all craving unity. This heart-to-heart -heart connection. Which seems almost impossible in 2023. We live in a culture that is just constantly trying to pull us apart. Trying to say this is your side and if you're on the other side you're dumb and if anybody else is on the other side you know they're dumb too but you know as Jesus is reading this psalm this was the song book you know we talked about that before that the psalms were the, the hymn book of of Jesus time of that second temple period Jesus would have seen these psalms organized just like we have them as the songs of a sense, I'm sure Jesus and his family would sing these songs as they went to the festivals, as he was growing up in Nazareth and making the trek to Jerusalem. And I'm here to tell you that unity in Jesus' day <coughs> was just as impossible as unity is now. There were Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and Essenes and you go, I don't even know those. Well, they were political parties that hated each other's guts. Don't know if you've heard that, ever heard of that before. There was class 
warfare and battles, and there was the oppressive Roman government, and everybody had a different idea about how to deal with Rome. The unity never came from a similarity of circumstances. The unity always comes from hearts that are committed to being bound together. Look at verse 4. So Jerusalem, the city which is bound together, verse 4 then says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, all caps, that means Yahweh, you knew that, you're a Bible scholar, um, and was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. Lots of different people coming from lots of different tribes with lots of different differences to go. It had to be one of the best parts of a feast in Jerusalem. So we're looking for unity, but we're not looking for unity and unanimity. We're looking for unity and diversity. And I know that many times the way the word diversity gets thrown around is it's like a synonym for sin, right? Like diversity means everybody can do everything they want. Oh, that's not what we're talking about. Although we'll love you even if you're a dirty, rotten sinner. So who are we all? We're all on the road from dirty, rotten sinner to mature Christian. Some of us here, some of us a little closer to here. You know, it's where we are. But also sometimes diversity gets thrown around as like different religious ideas. So like we, we would not say this is a place where heresy is going to be celebrated or where sin is going to be celebrated. But we would say that this is a place where a person would be welcomed no matter what they're dealing with. Diversity in unity. Verse 4 tells us that this party, this feast, was to include all the tribes. And this one verse gives us huge clues as to how unity is possible. Because can you think of any ways unity is possible? What are we all going to agree on? I mean, it's hard to think, isn't it? Pasta salad or potato salad? We're Baptists. we got to know right now which one is it. Like, we're not going to agree. There's very little that I could think of that we would all like go, yes, we are unified under this if it's not Jesus. So look at what, look at the unity that this pilgrim is expressing. He says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh. So first, there's unity and identity. It's not that we are all 12 tribes. We are the tribes of Yahweh. You and I would say it like this. We come from a lot of different understandings, but we are the people of Christ. We are unified, not in a single theological idea, but we are unified in that we belong to Jesus. Is there a prayer request? <laughs> a little crackle is good, but that's too much. That's, that, those are misfires. <laughs> Not only are, is he looking for unity and identity, he's also looking for unity and instruction. Look, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh, that's who we are, as was decreed for Israel. So not only are we all saying that we are the people of God, but we are saying it is God who tells us what to do. He is the source of everything from our law to our morality to everything we do. And I don't have anything to say about outside these walls, but this is how we are unified. That we are seeking, not only are we the people of Christ, but we are seeking the mind of Christ. That morality, that how we behave, that how we interact, is never going to be set by what I think or what you think, but is going to be set by Christ. 
So he's looking, this pilgrim is looking for a place where we're not unified by style. We're not unified by understanding. 12 tribes coming from all over the region. There's no way they all get there and go, hey, hey, we do everything the same. But we are unified in whose we are and in who sets our standard of law. Who sets our standard for behavior, morality, interaction in the church? I don't care what country you're in. In the church, we seek the mind of Christ. This unifies us. So I can say, well, I think it's a sin to eat blueberries. And you go, no, it's not, but it is a sin to eat raspberries. And we can go, oh, we have different theological perspectives. But if we can get together and go, but we're seeking the mind of Christ. I'm not the standard. You're not the standard. But Christ is the standard. Then we can find unity. We can be accepting of people. Not sin, not heresy, but people. So there's unity in identity, there's unity in instruction, and then there's unity in action. Um, Look at this. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. They're not going for any other reason. The feasts are not a time to litigate national, internet, or national policy or how we're dealing with the Amalekites or the Hittites or the Moabites or the Philistines. Nope, that's not what we're doing. But rather, the feasts are the time where we are unified in what it is we're doing, and that is giving thanks to the Lord. I use this phrase sometimes. On Sundays, we worship. We aren't going to be unified by most of our actions. We do different things for a living. We have different styles of family. You ever go over to somebody's house and go, wow, they live very differently than me. But what we are going to be unified in is whose we are, whose commands we listen to, and who we worship. We're the people of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, I, I'm running out of time, so I won't, I won't read them to you, but 1 Corinthians 10, is it, there, there are theological differences in, in Corinth, and Paul over and over again says, look, you're not for this guy or for this guy. What is Jesus divided? No, we are for Christ. Ephesians 4 is going to be all about unity as well and saying, put off anything that is earthly, and rather there is a spirit of unity in the worship of Jesus and nothing else. And to the New Testament church, unity and diversity has to be serious business. It is the business of grace. It is the business of, for, of forgiveness. And there are some that think, man, <coughs> purity is the thing that must be like the, the, the hallmark of the church. And I don't disagree with that. Purity is so important. Sin should never be ignored. There's no freedom. There's no joy. There's no peace without us dying to our sin and helping each other along in our battle against sin. Purity can't be ignored. But how do we get there? How do we get from where we started to people of purity, to people who are living mature Christian lives? And we get there by helping each other. We get there by loving each other. We get there by receiving each other with love and grace and forgiveness and sharpening each other on the journey. We are all looking for a place 
that will love us. We can't be rooted and grounded in anything but Jesus. Just like Jerusalem was just for the tribes of Yahweh. We are a place firmly standing on Christ and Christ alone. But I guess what I'm trying to say is this. It's okay if we're a mess. Not only that, we all need to stop pretending we're not a mess. And instead... Say, man, I just can't wait to be around the people of God. I just want to go to a place where I'm going to be loved and I can say something and people will give me grace or I could be honest with my heart and and people will remind me of the forgiveness of the cross. I just need a place that feels like home. Not only was it a place of unity, it was a place of justice. Verse 5 says, there were thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Man, if you're writing a psalm and it mentions the name of David, that's a serious thing in, in Israel. And, I, and I, this is important because I bet you can imagine unity without justice. It usually involves machine guns. Right? Could be that there's unity Because these 12 tribes come, but only one tribe has power. And so there's unity, or there's some sort of cessation of arms anyway. There's peace in this, that a hot war hasn't broken out. But there's not shalom. There's not wholeness. There's not fullness. And so this pilgrim, what he's longing for is a place where hearts are are united together where there's unity, even though there's lots of different styles and lots of different opinions, but there's still unity and love, and also where God's justice reigns. In the kingdom of God, there's justice, there's love, there's steadfast, that never-ending love for all of these people. And I will tell you that I think history is borne out, there is only justice for everyone in the kingdom of God. It's pretty easy to see why our pilgrim is looking forward to going to Jerusalem. If this is a place of justice and peace and unity, we all want to go. But in the second half of this psalm, the pilgrim's heart turns a little bit. If you look at verse 6, there's going to be a different tone. And he takes on not only the hope for Jerusalem, but he takes on the responsibility for Jerusalem. And this is huge. Christian, if you've been coming to Lighthouse for more than uh, since 10 o'clock, um, I need you to take this seriously. And if this isn't your home church and you're visiting, then I need you to take this seriously about your home church. And not only that, but we need to take this seriously with Christians as we interact with Christians in the world that this guy is homesick. He wants to go home. He wants the place where he will feel accepted. But then about halfway through, two thirds of the way through the hymn, he reminds himself, oh, this is on me to make this place like I want it to be. I have responsibility. I need to be cared for. I better be about the business of caring for others. I need grace. I need to be an extender of grace. I need forgiveness. I need to be an extender of forgiveness. Here's how he says it. Verse six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Hey guys, I mean, that never made more sense. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. So the psalmist is both excited to be in Jerusalem and he feels responsible for the health of Jerusalem. 
And first and foremost, he's taking prayer seriously and seriously prays for peace in Jerusalem. And given the news of the last couple of weeks, we should absolutely take this as literally as you like. To pray for peace in Jerusalem is a good thing, but let's not just leave it in the second temple period. And let's remember that we are the temple. And we have a responsibility to pray for the church. And I need prayer. And the person sitting next to you needs prayer. And we need to be people who are praying for each other. Praying for each other's good. I, I don't think you have to remove Jerusalem, and certainly because of the news of the day, I'm less comfortable than I would normally be removing Jerusalem from this, uh, from this passage, but I think it would be appropriate to add on to our praying for peace in Jerusalem, in Israel, there along the Mediterranean, that we would also say in verse 6, we could say, pray for peace at Lighthouse. Pray for peace in the church on the Monterey Peninsula. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within our walls and security within our towers. The people of God have to be about the business of praying for the people of God. Luke 19, I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Luke 19 there. That's the, the Luke 19 in general is the story of the um, triumphal entry. Jesus draws near the city and he weeps over it. And he weeps over it largely because it is nothing like this pilgrim was hoping for. Because whenever this psalm was written, there was this hope that Jerusalem would be a place that, that is, is filled with, with love and peace and forgiveness and, and, and everybody getting along in the name of God. And Jesus looks at it and says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Peace does not come with just a cessation of arms. And peace does not come when we all just agree on every point culturally, theologically, but rather peace comes as we are submitted to Christ. The Messiah had strolled into Jerusalem with his ragtag followers with palm branches and the whole thing, and he had been rejected by those he came to save. So it's, it's one thing to desire peace. It's another thing to know the things that bring peace. If we're going to be a peaceful place, we have to be submitted to Christ and Christ alone. And we have to take prayer seriously. Lastly, not only is he praying for shalom, but he's living for shalom. Look at verse 8 and 9. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. So now this is less saying it to God. It's not just prayer, but rather it's saying it to each other. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. Jerusalem, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Along with prayer, there must always be action. 
along with prayer, there must always be action. You pray that we would be a people wholly submitted to God, a people of grace and peace and forgiveness, and then you have to go about the business of being a person of peace and grace and forgiveness. For the sake of the house of Yahweh, I will seek your good, the pilgrim says. That's when there is peace. Not when each of us are seeking our own and just praying. Because sometimes if you are not actively seeking the good of other people, by praying for peace, sometimes what you're doing is just praying that everybody would shut up and do it your way. The easiest way peace is going to come is if everybody agrees with me. But no, he says, our pilgrim walking towards Jerusalem says, I will seek your good. All 12 tribes, all the diversity, all the mistakes that are going to come, real people, you know, these were actual people who said weird things and did weird things. See, we all want peace, but a lot of times, we mean, I want everything, everybody to do it my way. But a redeemed heart says, no, because I care so much about the people of God, I will seek your good. I mean, can you imagine churches filled? You want to talk about evangelism? Like, we don't need an evangelistic, evangelistic campaign if our churches are only filled with people who are seeking each other's good. That's pretty attractive. That's the kind of place it feels like home. That's what I'm longing for. Is that not what you're longing for? Then we pray for it and we do it. The challenge of this psalm is that we might rethink the way we view each other, the way we view who is in this room, the way we view Christians anywhere. But especially because we have most access to people in this room, it challenges us to change the way we see people in this room from, man, if they get in my way, if they do something weird, if they don't think like me or vote like me or talk like me, and instead to say with all these people, I'm going to seek your good. 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 What could I do today? I didn't just show up that I might receive. I showed up that I might give that people might be encouraged. Do you remember that Ephesians says that we would impart grace to everyone who hears us speak? So as uh, Shannon comes up and plays, I was going to say the worship team, as Shannon comes up and plays, let me, let me conclude by saying a statement that I think we all agree with that we are all longing for some place that feels like home. And it's up to us to be that for each other. Just a glimpse. The new heaven and the new earth, that's where it's fulfilled. But we have a chance. Sunday's at 10 o'clock. Wednesday's at 6. Men's barbecues. Women's dinners. To be a glimpse of home for the other people sitting around you that are duking it out, trying their best, and exhausted. Outside of our own house, 
or even including our own house. The community of Jesus is the best place to get a glimpse of heaven. And as we pilgrim together, as we learn what it means to deny ourselves, to look around at the valley, the dark valley, and go, ah, I got to get out of here. And as we take that spiritual pilgrimage from carnal, just whatever Grant was born as, to the person that I'm going to be in the new heaven and new earth, we could pilgrim together in grace and forgiveness and get just a glimpse of what it's going to be like when we get there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are all hungry for a place that we could be cared for and a place that people would be excited we're here and, and a place that, that feels like home. God, we, oh, we're hungry for your presence and your presence expressed through other people. Lord, would you help us to be people who can be that for each other? that we would be a place where hearts are bound together. And we pray that for the church all over the world. But Lord, we have most contact with Christians right here. Lord, would you help us to not see the community of Christ, the, the church, the ecclesia, the family of God, just as a place where we would get something, but rather a place where we could be something for other people. Lord, would you teach us to seek each other's good so that we might know what it's like to be loved by you. Lord, would you make us a people committed to prayer? Lord, committed to praying for hurting Christians, the, the persecuted church around the world, and, and for this, this land, uh, you know, Israel, um, and the, the conflicts there, Christians in war-torn places all over the globe. But Lord, as, as we are praying for that, help us to not neglect just praying for each other. Just be in a community that gives us a glimpse of what it's like. Lord, it's, we all have difficult weeks, difficult seasons. And we all need some place where we can be surrounded by family. Lord, in increasing measure, would you help us to be that for each other? In Jesus' name, amen.